0: Hello and welcome back to part two of our discussion with Dr. Bill Walker. We'll talk about how theology impacts our views around social justice issues and in particular look at issues surrounding the drug war. Thank you so much for joining us and I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Um, Let's let's go back to the the origin and um, you know some people might not be familiar with like Oscar Romero or you know when you were talking I was thinking of John Sabrino's language of the pierced divinity, uh, the crucified people, um, just perhaps even language that maybe westerners aren't even familiar with within liberation theology uh, so i guess going back to like probably 1968 forward i do want to get to is it sicilia is that the name we'll get to because i think that's a great story and i'd love for you to share yeah,
2: that Yeah. Cecilia. sicilia yes
1: yeah uh, so could you do a backdrop before we get to him and the the, the cara how do you say it? the caravaneros yeah oh I want, yeah i'd love right. for you i'd love for hey, you to lead us yeah. into that but with a little bit more backdrop for, I mean, obviously, we have the scripture. We have an outline for us there. You've talked about that. But then getting Westerners to, to go down further uh, hi, historically within not that long ago of, of, of grasping Sabrino's language of, of the crucified people and the God being the side of the oppressed. Uh, just a little a little historical timeline would be, I think it's helpful for, it was helpful for me at least years ago. And you mm-hmm. probably have a way more articulate way of sharing it with the people than I do.
2: Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, so without, I will try to... Yeah, some, somewhat summarized. I mean, it's a it's a long history of of how uh, the these uh, this theological movement emerged in Latin America that was drawing on, admittedly, some of what was developed in Europe around what I mentioned a moment ago already. A, a certain historical consciousness, recognition of the extent to which theology comes out of our lived experience more so than we realize. In some ways, the the, the fundamental critique. I think, is that Western European, predominantly uh, Anglo-Saxon kind of theology tended to take for granted its starting place as the starting place and as the universal story and experience of theology, so that, so that uh, theology is about ideas that kind of uh, exist uh, some, ab- above and, and over the material world, and what uh, liberation theologians Pointed to uh, beginning beginning in the late sixties and the seventies, and of course the, the sort of father of liberation theology, Gustavo Gutierrez, and his great work, the a theology of liberation. Interestingly, is being written around the same time, maybe even a little bit after uh, James Cone starts to write his uh, black liberation theology in North America, and these they're not like sharing notes, I don't think, but they end up saying something quite similar from two different Perspectives: one with the 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 black experience, the African American experience in the U.S., and and in Gutierrez's case, the experience of uh, many of the poor in Latin America. In his case, Peru, but it, but it was it was beyond that, of course. And th- this happens for in Latin America, it's, it's a Catholic phenomenon, largely because of the influence of the Catholic Church. And in North America, it's it's more Protestant. But the two languages, you realize, oh, they're drawing on a lot of the same biblical heritage, particularly pointing back to uh, the Exodus and recognizing, oh, the whole the whole history of Israel and the, and the hope of Israel is based in this concept of liberation from slavery. Like, how, how do we miss that so much? Why is that such an underplayed theme in Western theology? All right? Because we've been preoccupied with uh, what's going to happen to us when we die, uh, because by and large, the focus has not been on how difficult life is now um, as much. Uh, so The history is that this is also happening, though, admittedly during the Cold War, and so there's quite a bit of contention and and controversy and debate around it. The Catholic Church being more so tied to like U.S. interests probably than anything else is resistant to any sort of association that liberation theology might have with socialist, communist thought. And of course, they're drawing partially on some of Marx's analysis of capitalism and critique there, so that becomes the red flag that you know gets gets um, the powers that be involved and interested in seeing that this doesn't get a lot of grassroots momentum among uh, the, the the lower class because then you're going to have sort of like the threat of revolution. You see that happen admittedly on a popular level in several places. You also see the US involved and other western powers involved in trying to uh, repress that and resist that this is where the stories like Oscar Romero's uh, come out of this experience of um, trying to stand in the middle and say hang on a second the gospel's clear like we're supposed to be with the poor and and this isn't this isn't simply a question of like which kind of you know uh, political economic model we choose uh, this this commitment transcends those debates Right, um, and so there's a lot of insecurity going on. Latin America is experiencing the aftermath of some of their revolutions, um, and and what kind of government, what kind of economic system is getting set up is all uh, uh, in flux. And you have popular movements on the side of a more socialist uh, imagination, and and so liberation theology can't be totally uh, separated from that. Um, but the the point I think that transcends all those details is that. Uh, there's this fresh insight. It's not new, but it had been neglected. This fresh insight into uh, God's God's concern for for those who are experiencing poverty. Poverty is not a simply an incident of history. This is the the the, the conviction of liberation theology, and they and they argue for this socially. It is the uh, result of uh, greed and sin, and those in power wanting to. Um, Uh, control the means of production and resources right and so that that's the primary thing is that sin gets labeled not as some like inner thing that we all equally have only but also as and maybe even first and foremost as a systemic social thing that has a power that affects whether someone gets a can easily access their basic needs or not and how christianity is speaking just as much to the need for uh, people to be for bondage to be broken in those material ways uh, as well as the spiritual ways. Um, so that 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 becomes uh, a rallying cry for uh, more democratized forms of economic development, um, breaking down power barriers, looking at the gross distribution of wealth and wanting to say, okay, how can we make society look more like the kingdom of God, right? And that leads to some good and I think some messy kinds of things in, in what happens politically. Um, and that's still getting. I mean, it's still getting played out even to this day in in Latin America.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Think, so, and yeah, it, 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 it typically, there's there's an event that happens within. Well, there's always a story in every society and culture, and we can we can name several that have happened. Even I mean, 11 right? That would be one. But so there's there's something that happens in two thousand six, and it's hmm. powerful enough to start a march. So, can you tell us about that story? I think it's an incredible. I think people need to hear stories in order for their hearts speak to the heart, and then the head may, you know, probably will, will follow. Because yeah. to the head, the heart, the heart doesn't doesn't want to follow, right? Don't don't give me stats. Tell me a story. So.
2: That's right. That's right. Well, and I think, and you're pointing to 2006 because that's when Felipe Calderon uh, is elected, I believe, after Vicente Fox as president of Mexico, and that begins a new era in which his approach to his approach to dealing with the drug war is different and unconventional, in the sense that for the first time now—well, not not the first time—but he he's he's wanting to uh, take a more militarized strategy and actually go toe to toe with cartels, um, and that that leads to unprecedented violence in uh, in places where and with victims who are are not caught up in the war. Like lots of people are dying both from both sides it's the cartels killing people the military's uh creating uh making the, the cartels nervous there's turf wars this is so so when the when the military intervenes it starts like different cartels powers and controls of certain regions gets disrupted which which leaves a vacuum for the trade and so cartels start infighting and and i mean i'm obviously this is broad brush jokes, but basically people get caught up in the middle of that and it gets very brutal and ugly and violent. And, and that, that rises from about 2008, especially to 2010, 11, 12. And then it, it shifts and starts to get more dispersed where it's not all in Juarez or certain parts of the country. It's, it's, it's happening in Central America too, which is part of the trade all the way from Colombia. It's happening in different parts of Mexico, it moves around based on what's happening with the, the the forces that are fighting the cartels the cartels themselves which ones have power and when and and all of this. Uh, but the event you're referring to uh that's that an that ends up being really one thing I focus on in the book is uh, when Javier Cecilia who's a famous poet in Mexico his son is caught up in that violence and is killed tragically not because he was, I don't think, we don't know, but I don't think he was like, he's definitely not in a cartel, nor is he, he's not a political official, he's he's just somehow in the wrong place, wrong time, he and some friends. And this this galvanizes uh, Javier and, and a bunch of people who are also, more and more loved ones are dying uh, because they're, uh, they just were in the wrong place, wrong time kind of thing, uh, because it's a violent situation. And and they they it leads eventually to he 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 calls for and he he invites people into a, a public march on uh, in in Mexico City that launches what will be several iterations of a uh, nonviolent protest that travels across the country of Mexico and comes to the U.S. makes many stops uh, between 2010 and all the way up to like 2016 I think um, so. That what what was what was beautiful and powerful to me about that, and this is another key point that I try to that I learned and I try to share in the book is that um, we're not just talking about in all of this, right? We're not just talking about politics, economics, material provision, liberties, rights, uh, justice, injustice. Yes, we're talking about all that, but we're also talking about something in the human spirit that's connected to a sense of what is what is beautiful. And what is desirable and what is um like what is our purpose and what is our what is what kind of imagination do we have that informs how we live? And and as an artist, uh Cecilia gets that deeply. And so when he leads people to talk about the the injustices of the drug war and what what politicians are doing wrong and what people need to wake up to and why the drug cartels are a problem, because a lot of people like the drug cartels, it's kind of this weird thing. And some some people hate them, some people like them, but they get they get a lot of attention. There's a whole subculture of like novels about them, and it's it's kind of um, entertaining, and and they give money away, and it's weird. But but the, the the movement is trying to just have a sober light shed on everything in a way that points to a, a better Mexico, and so they use they use testimony, they use stories from survivors, they use art, uh, and they talk in such a way that is committed to um committed to justice yes but but not in a way that seems to be inflaming um it it reminds i mean it reminds me a lot of uh the civil rights movement just some of their practices some of their rhetoric pointing to concrete solutions but doing so in ways that were very creative uh with some of some of their uh uh some of the the even just the objects and what they dressed in how they traveled how they um, the music that was displayed in some of the gatherings, you know, the, the poetry that was read, uh, mm-hmm. the stories that were told, it it created an environment where more so than words or right policies, they were trying to show forth why these people hel- held in themselves a, a, a memory and a dream for um, a Mexico where there could be peace again and where you didn't have to fear for someone getting disappeared um, because they were at a party they shouldn't be at. Or something like that and and he yeah. he really did capture i mean he had hundreds of thousands of followers and some one march in particular had a hundred thousand plus participants so it wasn't a small thing um and he got to march right up to the president uh calderon and, and talk to him in front of a bunch of people and interview him and say you have blood on your hands mr president what do you have to say for yourself that question was like a live question in front of a, all these people and he they had a a, a discussion an earnest discussion um, he he was forced to listen to mothers just screaming out and crying at him, like, why are you tr- making this worse? Why are you fighting this war like this? You know, and he had to answer them. This is really powerful. And I think I think it's difficult to measure the fruit. Uh, I think there there was, I mean, he wasn't in power that much longer, but but there have been other presidents who've taken different approaches and some of some good, some bad. It, it's a really complex, messy issue that again is tied to Mexico can't fix it, right? the us is implicated deeply in it even even the government can't by itself probably you know shift a few knobs and 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 tweak policy to make it all go away it's really messy which goes back to the whole point about globalization and and finally how as christians this is kind of my last word in the book we the best thing we can do is become a kind of community together collectively where we practice and we, leave, we live into this better vision of how life together is supposed to look, economically, politically, socially, and, and, and in our worship and in our relationships and, and the things we articulate and express hope for and the things we critique, we reflect that spirit uh, of, of Jesus for all kinds of salvation, you know, and that we inhabit local geographies in a way that we get to know those neighbors who are on the margins. And then, by through those relationships, we start to advocate for the things they want to advocate for, and we we cross the the uh, the boundaries that have too often kept us siloed with concerns that don't reflect, you know, the whole the whole body of Christ and the people that God shows us He loves in the in in the crucifixion, right? Uh, so, to, I mean, the last thing Sabrino Sabrino talks about the crucified people, and I mean li- liberation theology above all, I think is is trying to show that the majority of people throughout history are have not been the people that theologians in the dominant tradition have had in mind when they do theology uh and that's exactly who god most comes to preach good news to and who jesus first announces his kingdom to are those who um have been quote-unquote crucified in history uh, which is why he too goes through that same kind of lowest of low sufferings and and humiliations and uh, uh he's he's victimized and then and then the victim the innocent victim is the one who ultimately um you know, rules and reigns, We 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 say and we believe.
0: Yeah. As I'm uh. as I'm listening to you and uh, I'm thinking back to what you said earlier about the the root of this and how we we have to work to come together and make this a part of our theology. And I'm just wondering, mm. how are you feeling about the landscape right now? I actually work in organizing up here in Denver that comes kind of from this tradition and. Mm -hmm. Uh, have actually been working on a bill that has proven to be way more controversial than than we expected and you can't hardly get get the two sides to sit down and have a conversation Mm -hmm. and as you talked about doing this inside of congregations and inside of christianity i feel like what i see up here and, and probably i assume you guys see it where you live too that trying to cross that that gap between more progressive expressions of christian faith and more conservative ones right now is is really difficult when i get told that because i care about housing people that are struggling to find a place to live in denver i just have a woke virus Mm -hmm. um would you care to touch on like how do we how do we start to get across that gap i mean we do that brew theology but we don't necessarily attract a lot of conservative evangelicals so i'm just wondering as you've wrestled with this what is what does that look like in the current place we're in right now
2: yeah great question janelle yeah gosh i i can point to in some ways as one example my own my own congregation i guess not as like oh we're the example of how great you can, no, no, but just like a place where it's, it's a relatively conservative church overall, uh, and with mostly evangelical background and, and yet, and, and there's diversity, significant diversity politically and some diversity socioeconomically and racially, but it is predominantly white certainly. Um, and yet because of just, because of an intention, this is a very small, very humble kind of subtle example, but, because of attention to place and to tending to where we are, who we're in relationship with geographically, neighbors, neighborhood, neighbors, issues affecting our neighborhood. Um, there's been a fairly like uh, transcendent call across partisan convictions for engagement with mm-hmm. the city and with issues in the city that has brought people together. Again, obviously imperfectly, it's messy. Right. From across political... Uh, across the the political aisle to do things like um, befriend our neighbors on the street um, to to try to retain a heritage of the hispanic and and black neighborhood that we now as a predominantly white church worship in and 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 uh steward the property that is in a heavily gentrified you know neighborhood
0: yeah in a way that
2: that doesn't just go the go the direction of what would be like the most um kind of profitable thing but actually ask questions about okay affordable housing transitional housing uh and and the the nonprofit partners around us that are invested in community development how can we serve them learn from them let them teach us about race in this part of the city and again we're, it is this is baby steps right but like it is possible i think to do it and I'm seeing some. I'm 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 encouraged by a few just very local attempts. Now, if you were to go a little higher up and talk regional in our diocese or our province or like some of the other, it gets harder and harder, messier and messier, and, and looks less and less like this. With with some exceptions, um, and and so I think I think it's again you, going local alone is not going to solve all this stuff. And some of it's really big and needs to be dealt with at a, at a higher level. But for the average person in the church, I think um, the more we can humanize, the more we can localize, the more we can build relationships, the better chance there is, and invite other churches into the, into the partnership where we're not saying we're, we need to all agree on theology. We're not even saying that you need to like us that much. It's just we, live, we occupy the same geography, and we, we both care about this, and G- we both know Jesus cares about this, so how can we uh, do something together? Right, not not saying we need to worship together every week, but uh, but I, I think there those are the, and you, those are stories that you don't hear about. Like um, they're not gonna they're not gonna get any coverage. They're not gonna, but they're hopeful to me. Uh, so I, I, again, that's very uh, maybe that's not enough, and maybe that just points to again how we're in this really um, discouraging time in terms of the, the the polarization and and the demonization that's going on across uh, theological and political lines. Uh, but on between the left and the right but i but i, I do see I, I don't i don't think there's a way if, if someone is the is just first and foremost concerned with telling you that you're you're woke or whatever and doesn't want to work with you i don't know that you can partner with that person or that group like but there are yeah. people who are and I, I don't think that we need to even try i'm not sure <laughs> on the other hand if there are people for whom like they just have genuine differences of perspective on some of those issues a best way to approach them Politically and economically, but they still care and and want to be part of loving their neighbor, uh, and are willing to uh, compromise a little bit. I think there are a lot of people like that, and I think that there our churches have are, are filled with them. And and the humility and the and the persistence and the willingness to like patiently seek after those kinds of collaborative efforts is is where the spirit is that's we just need the grace of god every day to try to do that and i think i think it can happen when that's the approach and that's the like scale uh to start with
1: thank you yeah i uh, gosh i keep thinking about how you know a lot of times you were talking about the polarization and there's these boxes that we have to all check and and perhaps instead of saying somebody has to check all these boxes in order for us to work on these issues like hey let's just let's find the issues right the common ground that we can work on and um yeah, we're not going to agree on. I mean, there there's so many things that we're not going, we're never going to see eye to eye on. Yeah. But I, I think I do, I do think that there's hope. And I've I've realized, I mean, having moved back here to Central Texas and specifically in the belt, the Bible Belt, the bu- the buckle of Waco, if you will. Um, yeah, you know, I, I find myself having trying to find trying to find that with a lot of uh, conversational partners uh, outside of outside of Brew Theology. Brew Theology is e- a little bit easier because it lends itself yeah. to people who are already open. But yeah, then, yeah. but then, you know, when you, when you, when you go anywhere else, you're going to rub shoulders with people who are probably thinking different things theologically than you, but there's still, there's still hard issues that I think that we can agree on. So that yeah. does give me hope. So I appreciate that, Bill. I, I would like to, man, we have, we have, there's so much that we could talk about and I want to be sensitive about our time here. We could talk about firearms, but that's going to lead us to yeah. a whole other yeah. thing. And it is related. I, and I remember you talking was, about that as well. It related that. Do. Well, we could do that, or we could just go to some sub- sub- conclusion stuff. So, do you think it's important to bring up firearms briefly, or no? You
2: um, know, I, it it it's it's more of a. I almost put it. I mean, certainly, it's it's yeah. a major like when when this when this uh, movement, the uh, Caravan for Peace with Justice and Dignity, is what it was called in in English, uh, that Cecilia started. They had about five political points, and and sort of what were their uh, talking points? They they talked about everywhere they went. One of them was we've got to get that for them. It was the arms trade, you know, and and weapons, uh, semi-automatic and some, sometimes illegal and, and automatic weapons getting from the U.S. to Mexico that fuel the fighting in this in this war. So, but that's kind of like. You could draw a map where it's like you see the trade lines and it's like guns going down here, drugs going up here, people now becoming a major. I mean, cartels now are making more money smuggling people than they are smuggling drugs. Mm. Um, and it and because people just keep getting um you, there's the higher return, basically, the margins are better because, because people can get sent back and then and then they you you they you make them pay you once you they pay to get across and then they have to keep paying you after that or they come after you, right? Uh for 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 having enabled you to cross the border illegally, um, so the coyote networks and that cartels are now running are huge. So it, it, it's just it's one more like immigration would be another huge thing to discuss, right? That's connected to all of this. That I don't again that's not what my book's about. And I don't talk in depth about the arms trade, um, but but yeah, and then this the spiritual condition of our country, the way we continue to tolerate you know mass mass shootings. Um, it's all it's it's in it's part of the same attitude we've had for so long toward drugs it's just this punitive thing of like, and it's individual freedom it's like okay you know it's not the drug it's the person that pulled the trigger ignoring all the while kind of the mental health crisis and all kinds of other conditions that that make us you know so susceptible unlike almost any other country in the world to the, this phenomenon um, and being unable to pass legislation about that I mean it reminds me a lot of our inability to um, make significant advancement on immigration reform as well as on uh, you know wholesale like drug policy reform Um, or or to or to do something other than like the thing we're best at which is the militarized and criminalized approach uh, to these problems but yeah I don't I don't I don't feel like I have a lot that I want to say yeah you got to know this about the arms trade necessarily right now
1: (laughs) yeah uh yeah I mean all, all this seems uh it seems as if even like the complications of it all are are and I don't, I don't want to put like a name on this, uh, but it is, it is a greed, it is a greed rooted yeah. issue, all of this, uh, seemingly, um, take that for however you want, <laughs> I'm not going yes. but uh, critique, critiquing the system, I mean, we, I feel like as Christians too in the West, we have a, um, it's almost like we're damned if we critique the system, you mm-hmm. know, um, because it's, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be godly, it's supposed to, like, if you, you can't critique, let's say we, let's say it wasn't a this democratic capitalistic system, let's say it was something else, we would still have that fear. Like if we live somewhere else, like we can't critique that. So, um, mm-hmm. that the, the lordship aspect is, is a bit backward. Right. And, and I guess this would be for anybody in any country, whether you're a, a believer of whatever, whether it's Christianity or some other thing in this country, like mm-hmm. the structure comes first before the faith. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's, it's, it's a little bit saddening and, and uh, disheartening, but, so, but you do, you do offer hope. Um, for nonviolent resistance, and I appreciate that. And you speak of liberation through the embodied crisis in our midst. So, how how does that compare to other religious and secular liberation movements? And what are the pros and the cons? Because I I see you, you you've you've had some um, different views from other theologians as well, um, not to mention names, but uh, well, you can mention names if you want. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: So, can you talk about that? How that how that how that uh, that that differs from others, and the and the pros and the cons of that.
2: Yeah, the you, specifically like comparing a Christian approach to a non-Christian approach, perhaps, or from a different, vein. but
1: but yeah, but even within Christianity, there's people who would probably disagree with some of your uh, your your conclusions and your approach to uh, to liberation, right?
2: Yeah, well, so, so sure. I mean, on the one hand, even to say non-violent, right, is already yeah. to put yourself historically in a minority group. Um, mm-hmm. the the If we, yeah, I, I think we could say that the majority of the tradition has been. More in the just war theory uh, stream, but but interestingly, that typically is because it's the, the the majority of the tradition, the Western canon, anyway, of of theological history has been written by those who are connected to something like the establishment uh, of of the church in the West. So so the, institutionally, it has power, it has legitimacy, it has to defend itself because it's it is in a place of now protection ever since you know the Roman Empire. Ever since Constantine, you might say, there's been this kind of new uh, his social experience for Christians in, in Europe and in the United States, where we've been, um, uh, it's been the norm somehow. And so that so to to do uh, to talk about violence when you when you have when you're defending yourself as someone who has uh, territory to defend, as it were, is a different thing than talking about violence when you are the quote-unquote defenseless or when you are the you are the one who feels like the powers are you know the boot is on your neck um this is why we have sympathy for you know the the revolutionary war that the united states had against england uh we have sympathy for any time when the the underdog is rises up right and and wants to break the chains of oppression um at the end of the day i do think jesus points to something uh that is opposed to both of those approaches, but not in the same way. I think I think that's why you know he's not a zealot, and the zealots were a thing in the first century. Uh, who who people some people wanted him to be that, um, and so it yeah there is to be an American and to to benefit from the way that uh, our country uh, has has power has wealth through military might and through economic um, influence is is to already be on the side of we have a lot to lose and a lot to protect and a lot to fight for and if people threaten that we need we we have a there's this there's this kind of entitlement to uh the recourse of force and so i i do think that across religions and across uh traditions there is a nonviolent spirit that uh i mean you see it of course i mean gandhi being a famous example right in general Buddhism also has kind of can can point to this in its spirituality, just that resisting suffering just leads to more suffering, like that concept, right? Um, and 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 in, in at a practical political level, not to get into the kind of yet christological level, but at a practical political level, Jesus is not saying something totally original when he talks about turning the other cheek and blessing those who persecute you and so forth. There's a kind of spirituality and moral, um, philosophy there that uh has has shown itself to be really compelling when when someone doesn't uh return uh the same the same attack that you uh extend toward them. it it catches you off guard. it can be disarming. It's the jujitsu move, you know, of absorbing and 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 then blocking and and it's really uh I'd say that that is touching on something that i would I would say as a Christian, the spirit uh can reveal and teach everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you can't explain how how it it it, it will capture the um, sympathy and compassion of an entire people, and this is what civil rights did so powerfully, right, so effectively. But that it wasn't—I mean, King was uh, was quite clear; he didn't come up with it, right? He looked to Gandhi, he looked to Jesus, and he said, "I've seen this also. We're going to adopt the same practice." Now, having said that, I don't know if this is where you want me to go at all, but it takes a certain amount of social freedom to even have a chance of doing a public kind of nonviolent protest and not getting just shot dead, right? There are, yeah. there are other places in time where dictatorships and fascist movements would like, I mean, Hitler being the obvious one, but this was true in South America and in, in Chile and in Argentina during the 70s and early 80s, where, uh, I mean, groups that were trying to um, uh, advocate for a different way of organizing society, uh, I mean, they weren't around very long and nobody knows where they, where those bodies are buried. Mm. So, so at, again, at a practical level, um, I don't think that nonviolence just leads to all these good things necessarily. It can also just mean um, you're going to lose the fight at a, at a temporal uh, level anyway. Um, is is but, there, uh, is there,
1: is there room in your, your theology for the other to exist alongside of you? You know, like, I mean, the people talk about MLK and, um, yeah. and Malcolm X and kind of yes. like meeting each other. yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah, well, the, uh, so yes, I do think. Gosh, that's another conversation. And and <laughs> and James Cohen's book on on Malcolm and Martin is I, I highly recommend it because he he is trying to channel both of those energies and recognizing that you they needed each other. Now, um, because yes, the, that's why it's frustrating because King can be so domesticated, right? We we can take him and and twist him into a champion for almost anything happens every year. MLK Day, the quotes that come out on Twitter from you know, conservatives, liberals, whatever. Um, but there's something about there's something about uh, Malcolm X, I think that I'm trying to point to as like don't don't take for granted that um you know that this this uh, King King was benefiting from certain things that Malcolm X saw were very fragile in his ability to even have a platform and to have some protection and respect from the government. And I think I think whether you you could still be nonviolent in your convictions and recognize that, Malcolm X was, was aware of a truth that others might have been a little naive about regarding um, the way that uh, if things went, if things went differently, if, th- if things weren't going, if King didn't have a lot of power, uh, you know, we might not have ever known who he was and nobody could have done what he did. And, and yeah, the, the need for fighting for freedom is arguably still there uh, if you don't have, um, you know, just enough to be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, um, as we kind of wrap things up, um, you know, are there some are there some are there some other examples that you want to give of how people are addressing some of these issues and succeeding or pick your ending, whatever you'd like to give us as a last word?
2: Yeah, great, great question, Janelle. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really encouraged by um, approaches to because if we're talking about drugs and we're talking about um, violence, and the the ultimate hopes that Christians have in the face of that, and how to enter in without fear, and to point to, um, you know, grace and justice, mercy and justice, like, that, that's kind of the whole framework here. Um Then I'm, then I'm, then it's, it's about much more than drugs, right? It's about, right. it's about life together, and it's about life together, like you just said, Ryan, that, that has room for the other, and I guess I'm, what, what encourages me is to see people who are, from all different backgrounds and and traditions, seeing the the power of something like something like asset based you know community development where where you you go and you look at a place and you realize there is already there are already resources here there are abilities here there are people here that have uh treasures and 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 talents to steward and being able to seeing I, I would say put it this way the way the spirit of God can 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 help people realize the ways that they are already made in God's image, and can uh, bless others with that um, instead of feeling like uh, just. I think this 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 hope of empowerment. So, um, if I think of um, examples of this, uh, there's there's a there's a a place in El Paso, Texas, um, a place that I care about deeply that um, has been around a while. It's connected to our church. It's called. Um, Ciudad Nueva, and they have a uh an inner city or, or, or a kind of yeah, inner city nonprofit uh community development organization. They also have a a border uh border project where they serve uh migrants, refugees, asylum seekers, and those who they started another nonprofit that does focuses on that. But in this community over time, what you see is young people who have who have kind of been um adopted, not not officially, but just taken into this by this organization to spend time with them and to um, develop skills, develop friendships, to discover their own abilities, strengths, and uh, capacities for contribution and for self-sustenance and to have those nurtured over time. We're now seeing where those kids from a a generation ago are some of the leaders and some of the now, um, uh, yeah, real kind of vision, kind of value holders for this organization because they grew up benefiting from it. So just just one, and, and, and community, so the stakeholders are innumerable in this. This is just one nonprofit, but it has people, has churches, has NGOs, has neighbors, has uh, supporters from all over that have uh, all been part of it. You don't have to be, you don't have to work in a nonprofit to do this, right? You come volunteer, right. be a friend of the organization in all kinds of ways. Uh, and, and it's brought. It's been a, a clearinghouse for and and a kind of um, facilitator, a host for a, a deep investment in a small place in a narrow a narrow space that has yielded uh, generational returns and transformation. That now the neighborhood and the community looks different than it did uh, a decade or two ago. Uh, and I think that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's slow, patient, frustrating work, and it's long. It's long term thinking. But if that happens. It's very, it's very achievable and anyone can do it. And if that happens over time in many places, you do, you do see transformative, systemic structural change, start to take root and, and bear fruit.
0: Yeah. Playing the long game instead of just going on the, the one, the one week mission trip. Um,
2: yeah. And it can involve, you can still go and, and advocate for certain and, and write certain bills, right? That That's, it's not against that at all, but it's like, oh, that one didn't pass or that one's been really, con- you got to try yep. again and, and again, you know, do you keep after it and um, yeah, you keep have that.
0: working towards it. Yeah, exactly.
1: All right. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Thanks for the this, work that you do. And uh, there's, there's so much, there's so many, uh, statistics too that are just mind-blowing as I and I know those who are listening you can't see what I see on some of these powerpoints that that Bill provided but I will say you should read his book Theology of the Drug War Uh, William A. Walker III that's Bill right there so thank you I'm
2: gonna call you Billiam thank you Billiam (laughs) thank you Ryan thank you Janelle yeah the book's a little academic and and expensive but I'm coming up with something hopefully a little more popular level soon that'll touch on many of the same themes all right Uh, there's other and other you,
1: If you're in Austin, go uh, go uh, to the uh, Hill Hill House, right?
2: Yeah. What, come night, on. what
1: nights are you there, or what days? What does that look like?
2: I mean, I'm here. I'm here now. I'm here most days. We have events all the time for students during the academic year. You know, we we basically wrestle with big questions in the faith and people trying to make sense of what it means to be a Christian and applying that to your work and what you do when you graduate. So vocational discernment, faith and work kinds of stuff. So it's a lot of fun and uh, love love being in in at least. Around the higher ed space because it you know it allows me to bring together both the pastor and the professor that are in me into one you know one context. I love that.
1: That's so good. Uh, So we have a we have a mutual friend that actually was from from Oklahoma that wanted to drive down to Waco because he knew you were coming to speak here. So that's how great Bill is, guys. He's he's even better in the flesh. So there
2: you go. (laughs) Y'all are kind. This has been a lot of fun. I'm really grateful for the invitation and the conversation.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Brew Theology podcast and part two of our conversation with Dr. Bill Walker. If you like this episode, please share it and leave us a review. To find us online, you can find us at Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology, on X at Brew underscore theology, and on Threads at Brew Theology. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to join the Brutheology family, please email Janelle or Ryan at Brutheology.org. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers.